Welcome to the California Wireless Association podcast. We are proud to say that Kawa has been advancing the wireless industry, helping businesses grow, fostering connections between people, and impacting lives through the charities we support for over 10 years. We'll be coming to you bi-weekly with new topics, education, and lively discussions. Let's dive right into today's topic. Please welcome your host, John Coombs. All right, hello, and welcome to another episode of the California Wireless Association podcast. I'm your host, John Coos. I'm a senior vice president at Butler America Telecom and a Calwa board member. This is Wireless West Week. Yep. We recorded this episode on April 22nd, but you're probably listening to it on April 26th or 27th, which means the conference has already started. So using my patented time machine, by the time you listen to this, I already moderated a panel at Wireless West entitled Wired West, All About That Fiber. That was certainly educational and fun. So that being said... That coincidentally brings us to our guest, Jeff Luong, President of Broadband Access and Adoption at AT&T. Big Blue! Welcome to the podcast, Jeff. Thank you, John. Really appreciate it. Cool. So, Jeff, you have an extensive and impressive career at AT&T. Around about 25 years, Jeff holds a Bachelor's of Science in Chemical Engineering from UCLA and an MBA with a concentration in Corporate Finance from USC. Uh, Jeff, that may create some loyalty dynamics when it comes to college sports. I'm not going to put you on the spot, though, and ask you who you root for in the Pac-12, unless you want to volunteer. I will absolutely volunteer. I think anybody that knows me knows that I'm a big UCLA Bruin fan. I try not to talk about my NBA very often. Uh, I am a (laughs) hard Bruin fan. Right on, right on. My daughter's alma mater, too. She's actually starting residency at UCR. And that UCLA education was critical. So uh, we are so fortunate to have you, Jeff. Um, your history in wireless deployments, coupled with your current responsibilities on the wireline side, make you uniquely qualified to discuss the big picture in telecom infrastructure deployment. But before we get into that, by now, people who listen to this podcast know that I'm a big superhero guy. And you can see my little statues in the back there, Jeff. Um, I ask my guests what their wireless origin story is. So, like, is your entry into wireless as exciting as being uh, sent to Earth by your father from an exploding Krypton? What's your wireless origin story, Jeff? Well, my wireless origin story is really, I started out on the wireline side of the business. I was hired in right out of uh, UCLA to actually build uh, additional copper lines for, uh, for computer modems. And so that's how I got my career started, building out uh, first, uh, second lines on copper, then our DSL broadband platform, then moving on to building fiber optic solutions, which is now uh, pretty, uh, pretty broad and available to, to many across the country. And so, so after doing that for about 10 years, when, uh, when singular AT&T wireless and the bigger AT&T company got together and we, from an AT&T perspective, see the future of where we believe the industry is going, which is the convergence of wire and wireless, uh, network infrastructures. Uh, that's when all these uh, uh, organizations come together, and that's where I got introduced into the um, uh, into the wireless space. And actually, the first job that I took from a wireless perspective is actually managing the Southern California 
market, the LA market uh, for uh, our wireless network. And so I think that was a great experience because uh, I think anybody that operate here in the West and here in LA understand how challenging it is to actually build and operate a network uh, here in Southern California. Absolutely. I remember that time very well. Uh, when you guys kind of integrated those sides of the house. I mean, I, I had worked for years with Richard Poros and, yeah. and got gals like Carol Tagayan and stuff. And they had all this history on the wireline side. And when you guys integrated the external affairs uh, into the wireless side, I think it really helped. And it was great. It's those walls were knocked down and your, 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 your career is living evidence of, of that organizational shift. So cool. So, um, you know, with respect, you know, this focus, this podcast focuses on California, obviously, but your, uh, the scope of your job is the entire nation. That's a huge responsibility with, with finite capital and finite time. How do you prioritize when and where to build new telecom infrastructure? Well, I think, uh, you know, I, I think we are looking for opportunities to build, uh, infrastructure everywhere we can. So I think, uh, you know, let me just lay out kind of the vision of what we are doing from an AT&T perspective, from both a wireline perspective and a wireless perspective, right? So from a wireline perspective, we are laser focused, no pun intended, on fiber. We are, uh, uh, you know, we announced a, a year ago that we were going to go from 15 million customer location, doubling that to 30 million customer locations with fiber. And so as of the end of this first quarter in 2022, we are now at 17 million customer locations with fiber going to 30 million customer locations across the entire country uh, by the end of 2025. So that for us, we believe fiber is the key technology for home internet and anywhere we could build it in an economical manner, we are going out there and pursuing that at a very aggressive pace. In addition to that, we don't believe that uh, the network is a either or type of environment, it's an and environment. And we believe wireless is a critical component of connectivity for people because people don't spend all their time at home. They may have back in the pandemic days, not anymore, right? And so it's very critical that we also build a very robust wireless network as well too. And so in addition to our aggressive fiber build, we are now aggressively deploying our new spectrums that we have acquired recently in the past year from a mid-band perspective, and we will be expanding our mid-band spectrum across the entire country. And obviously we're gonna be prioritizing it in certain areas, but our objective is to get it as big and as broad as possible and actually tailor it to what the customer needs. We don't believe that there's a one size fit all. We live mm -hmm. in a very big country. We live in a heterogeneous country. And so there are going to be cases where low band spectrum is sufficient to provide the services that people need. There are going to be places where mid band spectrum is going to be required to ensure that we have the capacity and speed to support the needs and the desires of that community. And there are going to be places where millimeter wave makes a lot of sense uh, for deployment, but it's, but it's not going to be everywhere. And it needs to be strategic. And that's how we're looking at our approach for uh, for network deployment across both fiber, wireline and wireless. No, excellent. It's in, in, you know, this this conversation, the way you characterized how they all fit together has been a running theme um, on this podcast, actually, mm -hmm. as just also just in our business at, at Butler is, you know, it you can't have one without the other kind of a kind of a thing and, and it's all a mosaic and so but you know 
maybe you know you've you've been successful. It sounds like you're on track with to your goal. Um, maybe you could talk about some local or regional successes that will maybe characterize the direction of your efforts. Like I guess in an academic sense, sort of case studies, if you will. Yeah. So 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 I think I'll, what I'll do is I'll go back to what I was just talking about is in terms of the convergence of the network and how these networks work together in terms of supporting not only the needs of the community, but also how these networks uh, works together in terms of our deployment and, and the way that we leverage both the wireless and wireline networks to build and build and scale and build efficiently. Right. And so. Uh, because of our aggressiveness is in terms of fiber build out, we are we are now expanding fiber throughout all of the California, uh, a significant part of California. One of the benefits of that deployment is that we're going to make more fiber transport available. So as you as everybody know in the wireless industry, as we progress from 2G to 3G to 4G and 5G, what happens to the network? The, 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 the size of these cell towers becomes smaller. The coverage area for these cell towers becomes smaller because the capacity requirements and, and the need needs to be closer and closer to the customer themselves, right? And so, and then the transport requirement in terms of the speed and the capability and the latency of these networks also become more stringent. And so the more fiber that we could get out there, the more scale that we have in terms of providing connectivity and the ability to provide those connectivity at a very uh, efficient cost structure allows us to densify the network and create a network that's closer to the customers that provides them with the speed, latency, and capabilities that they're looking for to support the applications of the future, right? Whether that is, you know, uh, uh, two-way video converse, uh, conversations like, like you and I are doing right now, whether it is IoT, whether it's Mac, whether it's whatever else we could think of in the future, we know for a fact, we don't know what those applications is going to be, but what we do know is those applications will demand speed and will demand fiber connectivity and demand uh, more sites closer to the customer. Right, absolutely, yeah, we're, we've been seeing that. We've been seeing that um, play out before our very eyes, I mean, uh, Looking at my own kind of area, I, I used to be a public official in Anaheim um, back in the day, and I uh, I was watching that process play out. You know, uh, densify the resort area first. So, like it goes to your example, right? It's like you have priority. So you got something like a Disneyland, you got something like an Anaheim Stadium. You know, you're going to put more effort, and and you're going to start seeing that density of the network there before you see it, let's say in like an Anaheim Hills, right? It's the, one size doesn't fit all to your point, right? So excellent. So, you know, with respect to California, you know, this is the Calwa podcast. In fact, we're up coming up on our 15th anniversary. What role can trade organizations like Calwa, perhaps others and other state wireless associations play in helping you guys bridge the digital divide what 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 role do you want from your vendors aside from good work and just you know cheerleaders of the uh, uh of the industry well actually i would change the question a little bit uh okay and, um, the way i would want to address it is what can we do as an industry to address the digital divide not for us the providers not for the the contracting community or the vendor community or the equipment industry but what can we do to address the digital divide for the residents and the people that live here in California, right? right. And, and, and 
And what I would want to say is that we are in a very, uh, 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 we've been talking about this as once in a lifetime, once in a career opportunity in terms of changing telecom connectivity infrastructure, both from a fiber perspective, a, a wireline perspective, and a wireless perspective. And the reason for that is that everything has changed in the past two years in terms of how people look at in infrastructure and what we need to do to, to better expand the infrastructure to close the digital divide, right? So, and, and, and obviously I think it's uh, the two main items that drove this change is number one is the pandemic in terms of how people use connectivity. It just, it didn't really change what was gonna happen. It just accelerated the, the activity in terms of how people use our technology. It was gonna happen anyway. It just makes it that much further. And it actually puts that more prominent in people's faces that we need strong uh, connectivity solutions from both a wire perspective and a, wire, uh, a wireless perspective. And we need it now. So there's the demand for connectivity has exploded uh, since the pandemic, and thus you see it's the significant amount of private investment by AT&T and by others as well, too. That's number one. Number two, the government also recognized the need of, of broadband and how important broadband is in an infrastructure perspective. We are in the digital economy. We have been in the digital economy, and now the federal government is ready to invest and invest billions of dollars, tens of billions, if not hundreds of billions of dollars in, into the environment, right? And so what they do is going to impact the products and services that the general public has, and it's going to impact how we operate as an industry in terms of the, the service providers, the, um, uh, and the, the vendors, the equipment providers, and everybody else, right? And so, so we are in a time where the dynamic of where this uh, uh, this this industry is going to change, and it's going to change one way or the other, and we need to make sure that it changes in a way that benefits as many people as possible. And so, <clears throat> so from my perspective, I think number one is really understanding in California, making sure that everybody understands what is going on today in California from a, a government investment perspective. So the state of California has uh, allocated six billion dollars for broadband connectivity in the state of California. They've allocated three and a quarter billion dollars to build out a middle mile network that is going to cover most of the state. At least that's the objective. That's a significant amount of money for a middle mile network, especially in the state of California that has a very robust uh, um, set of privately Ran, uh, privately owned middle mile uh, fiber optic cable already in place. To put that in context, the federal government, as part of the infrastructure bill, allocated a billion dollars for the entire country for middle mile. California allocated three point two five billion just for the state of California. Wow, right? so that, that's number one. Right. They are also allocating two billion dollars for what they call last mile deployment, and these last mile deployment could be used for fiber or it could be used for wireless. And so how they plan on allocating this, this these funding, who they're gonna work with to build it out, it's going to change the way, you know, this industry is gonna operate in the state. Right, absolutely. Is it too early to tell uh, how the state is going to disperse that money uh, and put it to use? 
So uh, the rules for that, uh, so, so two parts, right? The middle mile component of it and then the, the last mile component of it. The, the middle mile component of it, the plan is very clear. The plan is a government-owned middle mile network. Uh, they're calling it an open access network. And so the plan there is that they will allocate this $3.25 billion to a third-party entity. Uh, uh, this entity is called Golden State Net, who is a subsidiary of an uh, educational network provider uh, called Scenic. And so they, working with the California PUC, and working with uh, the California Department of Technology and working with Caltrans will jointly work together to build out this three and a quarter billion dollar uh, open access government owned network. From a last mile perspective, the rules associated with the last mile broadband program was actually just released yesterday. So we are still studying the rules uh, right now to determine the, the impact but there are going to be a list of criteria in terms of what they value in terms of mm -hmm. partnership. And they will create a fund, a application process for folks to go in and identify targeted areas that uh, people are willing to serve, either with fiber or wireless, and then make their application for that funding. And they will be graded off of a 130-point scale to determine who would get the allocation for this $2 billion to expand uh, whatever infrastructure they, that they, they are proposing. Got it. Got it. Got it. Excellent. Excellent. So, um, wow, that's probably something um, a lot of people didn't know much about. So really appreciate you drilling down on that. Um, so, you know, um, I'd like our listeners to walk away with really succinct takeaways. And I think that was just one of them, frankly. But, you know, what in your view are the key performance indicators in bridging the digital divide? There's an access component. There's an adoption component. And then there's an affordability component. So obviously access is us providing the facilities for people to connect uh, to the network, which we are doing with private investment. And we plan on doing in terms of working with the state uh, on their uh, you know, $6 billion broadband fund. There is also an affordability component and the affordability component needs to be addressed uh, in terms of us as an industry offering low income solutions uh, to people and low, low cost plans for low income uh, uh, folks. And then the good thing about this low income component of it, the affordability piece of it is as part of the broadband infrastructure plan there is a program called ACP that subsidize uh, low income individuals for their broadband connection for either both their wireless connection mm -hmm. or their home internet connection. And it's $30 subsidy for, uh, uh, for most Americans. And then it's, uh, uh, and then there's other uh, avenues as well too. And then the last piece of it and the most, and I believe just as important is the adoption component of it. And the adoption component of it is making sure that people understand the value of having uh, connectivity, understand how to utilize that connectivity. And so we, AT&T, are really investing in both the affordability and adoption component of it by investing $2 billion in terms of helping communities close the digital divide from an adoption and affordability perspective, and then working and then using our private capital and partnering with the state to expand access to provide more broadband to more people. No, that's great. Uh, you know, a lot of people talk uh, in government and uh, private sector circles of 
public-private partnerships. Uh, this is a perfect example of one where you got the government money, you got your own recognition that you need to invest in providing everyone coverage. The combination of two, if implemented properly, could almost make someone's um, internet, uh, you know, uh, almost free maybe or very so cheap that you know there's no question that you know they they will have coverage which is a huge economic development tool you know lifting all boats it, 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 so this this is really great so at calma though we have uh, of of your three uh access of affordability and adoption we're probably more on the access side and so you know Let's drill down a little bit more on access. So AT&T has a huge fiber initiative, but you're also facing a lot of competition on on that front from cable companies and even tower companies. Um, What is the best solution for customers and businesses? You know, cable has a huge footprint already. Yeah, so so I think uh, our position is that we believe fiber is the best solution for connectivity, especially for home internet. If you look at the amount of data usage uh, from a home internet perspective, it is 30 times the usage of a mobile uh, internet subscriber, right? Mm -hmm. 30x performance. And anybody that operates a wireless network knows that that amount of traffic is going to create problems, right? We do not design our network for that level of traffic. And so what we want to do is we want to make sure that we leverage our entire network to most efficiently handle that amount of traffic. And our belief is that home internet connections where people are streaming 4K shows on Netflix, on HBO Max, and having you know uh, a video conferencing conversation, we believe that is best done through the, the fiber network. Obviously, people are on the move on a constant basis, and they need to be able to access the internet, access communications, and everything else. And that is, and the wireless platform is a great platform for that, right? And so it's really about the fiber network and the wireless network working together to support the needs of the community. However, with that said. It doesn't mean that fiber is going to be able to be uh, to be the solution for every single location. And we believe that there are places where a wireless only solution is the best solution. You know, we've started down that path. We built a significant amount of, of fixed wireless uh, platforms and cell sites here in California. For those of you that are familiar with our our program uh, the past couple of years. And we believe now that with the with the availability of robust mid-band spectrum, we could actually take those assets and we could actually expand on that in terms of providing even great cap- greater capabilities in these remote areas with our 5G mid-band solution. And we believe there are going to be other communities that don't have connectivity and it's way too expensive to build out a fiber network to be to utilize fixed wireless mid-band 5G spectrum to go and provide that connectivity to these rural areas that uh, that may not have the density to justify fiber, but also don't have the density to overburden a wireless network like you would do, say, in a LA or an Anaheim or a, a San Francisco Bay Area type of environment. Right. No. Yeah. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, um, well, you know. Jeff, this has been highly educational. I really appreciate you doing this interview. I think our listeners will get a lot from it. Um, before we sign off, uh, do you have any final thoughts uh, that you are listeners to be aware of? 
Yeah, I think, uh, uh, I think number one, I think uh, from my perspective is that I think the work that we do as a community is so vital. Uh, the, the work that we do as an industry here in California is so vital to the community here in California that you know, the work that you guys do matter. The connectivity that you guys provided allow us as a society to get through the past couple of years of the pandemic. So number one is I want to thank everybody for the work that they're doing. And number two is that the work that is ahead of us is even more significant and greater in terms of what we need to do to continue to make sure that the capability that we have created is available to everybody in the society. Not just, not just some, but everybody needs to have these type of connectivity to be part of our society from an economic perspective, from an education perspective, and from a healthcare perspective. And so we need to double down and we need to work collectively as an industry in partnership with government to figure out how we could take the capability that has been so valuable to so many in the past few years to be available to everybody in our society. And the only way this is going to work is what you said earlier, John, is do a public-private partnership. We as a private entity cannot serve everybody alone. This is too big of a country, too complex of an environment uh, for us to address. Government does not have the capability and the skill sets to operate and maintain a complex network like what we do in the private industry. So the only way we are successful as a society is for us, the private industry, the, the government, to work together to figure out how we bring these type of connectivity to everybody in our society. Fantastic. And, you know, historically speaking, it's like, that's how America's really been, you know, number one, an engine when it comes to infrastructure, when we've chosen to do it, it's through private partner, public private partnerships, you know, the internet interstate highway act, uh, which created the backbone of our economy from the 1950s forward, couldn't have been done just by the government or just by the auto industry or pay, you know, uh, companies, you know, uh, that build the roads, it's a partnership and it's the same thing. And I think people, uh, finally have gotten around to realizing that this, uh, this industry where we've been in for, for you and I for 25 years is, is, uh, is essential to our, our, our country's future just like the road system was uh, 80 years ago and just like the train networks were 150 or 60 years ago. So thanks again, Jeff. Really appreciate it. And before we sign off, I want to get a, a big shout out to a couple of your fellow AT&T uh, family members, Alonzo Lugo and Clay Owen for helping facilitate this interview. And I also want to thank our loyal listeners. Please consider finding me on LinkedIn and connecting with me to propose topics and guests. And until next time, please stay safe out there. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you back here in two weeks. Until then, for more information, visit calwa.org. That's www.calwa.org.